0: Okay, so we are still in these chapters, this long string of chapters, of 10 chapters, 41 through 50. And we have done 41 and 42. And we're now on 43. Uh, If you could sum up in two words what we are talking about in these chapters? What would those two words be? Gira and Ahava. Yeah, I like it. And two English words? Fear and love. Okay, I like it too. Now, if you were to make a full sentence summarizing what we've studied so far and what you you understand we will be studying throughout the following uh, eight more chapters. What would be the full sentence, using the words fear and love that we've already chosen? It takes both, but fear, but fear comes before love. Fear comes before love is one detail. That's one important thing that was established. Practical application, of fear and love. Practical application, if you're in love. It's not going to tell us so much how to do that because we know the practical application of fear and love is to act like one who fears God and loves him. In other words, don't do what he doesn't like and do what he does like. So give me a different sentence. Use fear as the boundaries to sort of give birth to love. That's also a correct statement that fear, I like what you said, use fear as the boundaries to give birth to love. That was a great sentence. That's something that we learned in chapter 41, correct? Correct. But I'm saying, if you had to summarize all these ten chapters, these are the chapters that tell you action.
1: Fear and love are the <laughs> foundation of all
0: emotions. That leads to the. That's of true statement as well. Fear and love are the foundation of all emotions. All emotions are offshoots or derivatives of those two basic feelings. That's true. But what, what, yeah? How to create feelings. How to know? create these feelings, yeah. And since right. we already discussed how to create it, why don't you just fill, it, fill that part in. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um. Basically saying it, just say it a little more explicitly. that leads how, to how to create emotion okay. that leads to action. I'm, all, I'm, I'm with this, yeah. Techniques to meditate. Techniques to meditate. To meditate. On awe. On, on, on. And so you're not meditating on, on the awe, and you're not meditating on, on, on the love. In order to, yeah. You're meditating on region. subjects. Also to maybe I'll, to, I'll also maybe uh, tweak that you said techniques. They're not really different techniques. There's one technique. Think, sit there and think, or walk around and think, however you think best. They're not really different techniques, they're different subjects upon which to meditate in order to create emotion. And we know there are two basic kinds of emotion: There's fear and there's love. And we know we do it with, with those emotions we apply them to our behaviors. So if we had to have a sentence that sums up the two chapters we've done already and the eight chapters that we're going to be doing, what would that sentence be? All right, I'll start the sentence. If you blank, then blank. <laughs> Shout it out for me. If you, I can't hear. Say it louder. Um. That's also true, but I'm looking for that general. If you meditate on. Um, you meditate on subjects that lead to fear. Fear and awe of, and, and love. Emotion. Fear and awe is redundant, by the way. Right? <laughs> awe and love. Yes. It will lead to emotions that then create, that then, then um, alter your base. Yes. Now say that smoothly and quickly, like you practiced it <laughs> a thousand times last night. Okay. Okay? Say it. Please. By meditating on subjects, of awe and love, you will create emotions that lead to change behavior. Oh, that was great, ever hear that? Wasn't that great? If you meditate on subjects that lead to awe and love, which are the two types of emotions, then you will experience increased awe and love, which will lead to change behavior. So that was great, that was perfect. So basically, that sentence says, if you think it, you'll feel it, and then you'll do it. Uh Why don't you just say that in the first place? (laughs) So what are we studying? We're studying stuff to think about. That's what these chapters are all about, stuff to think about. All right, you want some more stuff to think about? yeah okay so chapter 43 chapter 43 let's get some more stuff to think about chapter 43 starts like this you know the old uh, paradox that if you don't have experience you can't get a job but if you don't have a job you can't get experience okay so our sages have told us imein yira in chachma if there's no fear there's no wisdom they also told us imein chachma ein yira if there's no wisdom there's no fear so how do you get started seems impossible to get your foot in the door when you try to get the chachma they'll tell you no you you got to have yira first and then you try to get the yira they'll tell you no you have to have chachma first it's like uh, the guy who was in the desert. This is joke number 83, by the way. <laughs> he was crawling through the desert and he sees an oasis ahead and he comes to the oasis and he asks for water and they say, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have water. We only you know this one, right? <laughs> we only sell ties. ties. ties neck ties. Yeah. So he says, oh, I don't need a tie, I need water. So he keeps crawling, he finds another oasis. He says, "I need water." They said, "We don't sell water here. We only sell ties." He says, "I don't need a tie. I need water." So he keeps crawling, and he finds another oasis. He says, "Water," and they say, "I'm sorry, sir. There's a dress code. We only serve people who are wearing ties." You never heard that one before? Okay. So you come to get the chokhmah, and you need the yira. You come to get the yira, you need the chokhmah. What are we supposed to do? So, what does Yira mean? Yira is a relative term. Remember, with last class, we were translating it in all types of ways. We called it awe and reverence, but we also called it fear, which is the more conventional translation. Um, we called it respect, those boundaries, the sense of boundaries. Uh, and I think we also referred to it as inhibition. Yira is just simple inhibition. Um, like you wouldn't do certain behaviors in public. Why? Because people are watching you, so you're socially inhibited. And uh, we said that counts, that, that's that's a level of, of yira. So yira is a relative term. And what we're talking about here when we say im ein yira that the prerequisite is yira, is as a low level yira, it's only that level that we described previously as inhibition that you'll just be conscious of your behaviors and therefore you won't do anything that would be displeasing to Hashem. That's it. It's not a heavy, major, intense emotion. We will talk about heavier, more major, more intense levels of yida later. But right now it is just a simple level of yida which we equate with the feeling of uh, inhibition that one has in front of other people. And as you remember, we mentioned it twice, uh, once in chapter 41 and once in chapter 42, the story of Rabbi Zakai who told his students, you should be as afraid of Hashem as you are afraid of people. And they marveled at that and he said, well of course, everybody's inhibited when other people are watching, but who, uh, who thinks about the fact that Hashem is watching? <laughs> so the, when we say, if there's no fear, there's no wisdom, that prerequisite fear we're talking about is a simple level of fear that's, that's very accessible. It's a lower level, which is just enough to keep you aware of your behaviors. Now, where do you get it from? Where are you gonna get it from? Here's what he says. Oh, by the way, let me just make sure everyone's with me. If you want an emotion, any emotion, where do you get it from? I mean, according to what we've been saying so far. Yeah, your intellect, your intellect, you, you meditate, okay. We've been speaking about that since chapter three. Okay. So in this case, what do you meditate on? He says like this. You should think about the vastness of the universe. Remember, Yira, although the level of Yira we're speaking about here is a low level of Yira, Yira in general is a feeling of smallness. That I feel small. As opposed to ahava, love, which is expansiveness. Because when I'm feeling loving, I'm feeling magnanimous, I feel like stretching outward, I feel like doing something for my beloved. Yira is the opposite. Yira is, uh, I feel smaller. I feel um, insignificant. Which is also why Yira is related to respect, which is self-containment. So here, what are we talking about? We're talking about meditating on the vastness of the universe and just being reminded of how small we are. It, 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 it's that classic moment where, you know, someone's lying out on the on the blanket, on the on the grass at night and looking up in the sky and saying, wow, look how many millions of stars there are in the universe. Wow, look how vast it all is. Or standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and just marveling at how big it is. And that's the meditation. Although, he says here, don't just limit it at marveling at the vastness of the physical universe. You should also include the vastness of the spiritual universe. So you can think about the various different realms or planes of reality where the angels abide. But the main idea is you're just thinking about how big the world is, how big creation is, and that will put a sense of Yira into you. That's it, that's the whole meditation. So the goal is to be uh, inhibited and the, the starting point is just to think about how big and vast and great creation is. Yeah? But couldn't meditating on how insignificant you are make one feel? So what does it matter if I eat kosher or, or um, you know, do any of the other things? Yeah, but I would counter, so what does it matter if you don't? If you're so insignificant, why do you have to get your way? <laughs> well, for those who... <laughs> so obviously you're feeling pretty significant if you're looking direction. to pursue your own agenda. Well, if somebody says, you know, if I'm, if I what does it matter? I'm insignificant. Okay, so then follow the program. There's something else going on there as well. My, my, my point is not to dismiss the question, but to tell you that awe is not going to have any negative repercussions. Being in awe of Hashem is a good thing, it's a good thing. Realizing that I don't have to get my own way is a good thing. And that's basically the feeling that we're talking about here. The universe does not revolve around me. I don't have to get my own way. But why why is that an important recognition to come to? Because at the end of the day, when I am choosing to control my behavior, what, what's the feeling that supports that, that decision? The feeling that it doesn't even make sense for me to think I get to do whatever I want. Why should I get to do whatever I want? Again, let's, let's hearken back to the, the lesson that Rabbi Yechen ben Zakkai told his, his students. If I have enough decency to know that just because other human beings are around, I don't get to do whatever I want, just because it'll offend them or put them off, then how much more so, if I'm in God's world, I don't get to do whatever I want? That's the only feeling that we're talking about here. It's knowing your place. You know what it means, knowing your place? It sounds harsh, but Yidda is a little bit harsh. Yidda doesn't build you up. Yidah puts you in your place. Now, later on we'll talk about love. And love is a feeling that that builds us up. But right now we're talking about uh, the feeling of... of insignificance. And that I wouldn't be so... I wouldn't have the chutzpah to think that I'm running the show. Yeah? But like the, the person goes and sits with the Queen of England in a dinner, yeah. there's a certain feeling of how you have to behave. Is this yeah. what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. You hear the question? If mm-hmm. you met the Queen of England and you would be more aware of your behavior? Yeah, that's all it's talking about. So in this case, what we're saying is you're in Hashem's presence and who is Hashem? Well, that's a deep question. It's a deep philosophical question. For the purposes of this meditation, the answer who is Hashem? He's he's the one who made all this. You're impressed with this? Uh yeah. Okay, so be impressed with him. That's it. That's all it's talking about. Now, that sense of what we're calling Yira is just a gate. It's called a gate to the observance of Torah. If you will have this sense of self-awareness, inhibition, self-consciousness, then you will practice self-containment and control your behaviors and observe the Torah. And that's what it means, im ein in chokhma. In this case, how do we translate yira and how do we translate chokhma? If you don't at least have a sense of inhibition before Hashem, then you won't be able to do the right things. So therefore, you need to get this basic sense of Yirah, which we said is by meditating on the vastness of creation, and feeling your own insignificance, and then you will have Chokhmah. you will have wisdom, which means you will observe the mitzvahs. That's what it means. Now, there is a higher level of Yuta. It is called Yirabois. It's called shame based fear. But it's not talking about a what they call toxic shame. It's actually a very healthy shame. Shame here You know the difference we spoke about in in chapter 27 a little bit, uh, the difference between uh, guilt and shame. Guilt is about what I've done. Shame is about who I am. Which is why there's healthy shame and unhealthy shame. Being ashamed about who I am can be a healthy thing. If being ashamed of who I am means I think that I'm inherently defective, that's obviously unhealthy. But if shame means it makes me uncomfortable to think that I'm taking up space in the midst of this infinity, that's a healthy shame. So it's not guilt about what I've done. It's shame about who I am. That's why you can be a perfect tzaddik and have this type of shame. I didn't do anything wrong. Just my being here is funny. Why am I taking up space? Why am I asserting my existence? This is so weird. He's everything. Let him be everything. Why am I encroaching on that? Let me just dissolve into oneness. Why does my separateness have to be here? So that's the loftier level of fear, what we call Yira'i Law, the higher the higher awe. Which is obviously a much more profound feeling than what we were talking about before, which is basically just uh, self-awareness and behavioral inhibition. Yeah? No, theirs was love. They had, a, they had runaway love. No, because they wanted to get, not even wanted to get close. This is I want to shrink away. Not because I'm embarrassed, not because I've done anything wrong, but just because I know that he's everything, so why am I taking up space? Now, that is a level of awe that one really can only achieve after being perfectly observant of the Torah. And now we understand the two formulations of our statement about Yira and Chochmah. (inaudible) Im ein Yira, ein Chochmah comes first. If you don't have the basic inhibition to be aware of your behaviors and to curb your behaviors based on Hashem's desires, then you won't have chokhmah. You won't be Torah observant. But then next, im ein If you don't live a life in accordance with His will, ein yira. You will not have that higher level of yira, which is that profound sense of insignificance and wanting to dissolve into His oneness. So. There's a lower level of yirah which allows you to do Hashem's will. And then there's a higher level of yirah that comes about as a result of living according to Hashem's will. To describe this higher level of yirah a little bit more, and to contrast it with the lower level, When we say Chachma, I think we spoke about this in uh, chapter 18. That Chachma is, is two words, Kayachma, the power or the potential of what, of the unknown. Also, it says Chachma emerges from nothingness. Also, it says, "Ezul Chachem, who is a wise person, Haroya Eshanoylid, one who sees what is born, what's going to be. All of these sayings mean one thing Chachma is the sensitivity to bittle, to the non existence or the relative non existence of created beings. An appreciation for the fact that nothing is ontologically independent except for absolute existence. And he alone exists absolutely. In other words, the higher level of Yiddha is an appreciation of the fact that the worlds don't have their own existence. They exist, yes, they exist. It's not a butterfly's dream. They exist, but not on their own. They are entirely and constantly dependent for their being upon his creative power. Like we spoke about, if you remember in chapters 20 and 21, we spoke about the relative non existence of the worlds. Or we spoke about in chapter 33 about the metaphor of the sun ray. Remember, the, the the created existence is like a sun ray. You see the sun ray shining into the window. You point at it. You look at it. You can even name it. You can draw a square on the floor where it's making its uh, where its light is spreading. You can take a light meter. You can measure how bright it is. I suppose you can take a thermometer. You can measure how warm it is. There you have a sun ray. It's measurable. It's identifiable. And then you go to the sun and try to find your sun ray in the sun, you won't find your sun ray in the sun. And not because the sun is full of so many other sun rays, but because in the sun there are no sun rays. The phenomenon of a sun ray only takes place as the light shines away from the sun. But in the sun, there's not sunlight, there's just the sun. So too, our experience of creation as something of that that. where where each being is identifiable and measurable and distinct and has its own properties and qualities, that's just because we don't see the source of it all. But if we were to see the source of it all, we would realize nothing has its own existence. Now, when you realize that, nothing has its own existence. And by the way, Altareva makes a point here. Not just the world around you has no existence of its own. You yourself, include yourself here, you also have no existence outside of Hashem. So really, all there is, is His existence. Contrast that with the meditation and the awareness that brings to the lower level of, of fear. The lower level of fear, what was I thinking about? What was I thinking about The lower lo- to, to generate the lower level of fear? The greatness of the world. The The higher level of fear, what am I thinking about? The non-existence of the world. You see, they're two different levels. So if I think about how great the world is, and Hashem is the one who made it all, wow, that will instill me with fear, awe. But it's a lower level of awe. And even deeper awe is when I realize... You know what all of this here doesn't exist for itself doesn't have its own existence there's nothing but him so what am I doing here as a being that is aware of its own existence why do I have a conscious ego something's wrong here my sentience is a problem Therefore, what am I going to do? I'm going to surrender myself to be as transparent to him as possible. I submit myself as a conduit to his will and I'm not interfering anymore. I want to make as little obstruction as possible. That's the feeling of the higher level of all. That's what we call a healthy shame. The healthy shame is I don't want to cause any blockage. I want to allow Hashem to shine through me as if I'm not here at all. Question. Yeah. Could someone have moments of both? Could somebody have moments of both? Yeah, I suppose so. If, if you're working toward that goal, you, you, you don't get to that. Yeah, and I'll tell you why I say that, because in the chapter that introduces the second volume of Tanya, He speaks about a tzaddik who has achieved the higher levels of awe and the higher levels of of love, which we haven't discussed love at all yet, so I want to get moving in a minute. And he says, but from time to time, even that tzaddik who's achieved those higher levels will go back to the basic levels. So yeah, it, it doesn't mean that you graduate and you never return to the old tried and true methods. Okay. I want to wrap up chapter forty-three, and then I want to see if I can even do chapter forty-four. So we spoke about which emotion so far today. Yeah. Yeah. All. And and it's and, and you'll understand why because starting chapter forty-one we established that we always start with with all. We start with the boundaries first. Okay. And how many levels of Yira did we discuss? Two. Two, Two, okay. Now I want you to intuit the answer to the following two questions. What emotion do you think we should talk about now? Love. Love, I agree with you, yes. And how many levels of love would you like to hear about? Two. Well, you have, to, you have to pick a number. Two. Two? Yeah, I agree with that as well. Okay. Good, you're seeing the pattern here. All right. Let's talk about love on two levels. There are two levels of love. One love. I mean, there are more than two levels, but two levels we're going to talk about here. One level is called Ahava which means abundant love or great love. The other love is called Ahavas Oylem, which is sometimes translated as eternal love. Oylem, like la Va'ed. But really, in context here, it's Oylem like the world. Ahavas means a love that comes from the world. You might even call it worldly love. Okay, let's talk about this. Ahav is the higher level of love. That's a matona, that's a gift that is given to one who is already complete in his or her awe. That is something that really only true tzaddikim experience, and it is considered to be a bliss and a delight that is similar to what is felt by the soul in the world to come. And there's really nothing you can do to create it. It's not the result of a meditation. It's something that ensues after everything else is perfect. Then there's another level of love, which we call Avas Eilam. Avas Eilam is basically the transitive property of love. You know the transitive property? In algebra. You didn't remember your algebra? Do you remember when your seventh grade math teacher said that this will be useful again someday? Well, this is your moment. A equals B, B equals C, and therefore, A equals C, very good. That's the transitive property. Here it is. I'll tell you a story, actually. It's not even a story. It's just a little uh, vignette. It's not even a vignette, but uh, it's a thing that happened to me. Not even to me. I saw it happen. (laughs) (laughs) I remember this guy. There was a Fabrengan once in Crown Heights many years ago. And this guy was talking about how he became observant. And he said, You know, my favorite thing in life was Mel Brooks movies. (laughs) Mel Brooks, it was just the greatest thing. And then one day, it occurred to me. You know who created Mel Brooks? (laughs) That was his epiphany. Okay. Ava Salem is like this. Look at the world, look at the world around you. See all the things that you love, that you are attracted to, that give you joy. You don't made all that stuff? So it's the transitive property of love. If you if you can relate to the worldly things you love, which we're assuming you do already, by the way, this meditation only works on somebody who already likes stuff. There's a there's a term uh, A hedonism, maybe it's anhedonism, anhedon. Oh, you're f- anhedonism is the the, uh, the uh, lack of ability to take pleasure in anything. So if one would be anhedonistic, then this meditation would not work. But let's say you do have things that you like, even if it's Mel Brooks movies or if it's you know that first cup of coffee in the morning or. New car smell, whatever it is, however trivial. You think about the fact that Hashem made that. And so, therefore, whatever love you have toward that, by all rights, should be directed toward Him. Let me ask you, by the way, do you see the similarity between the lower level of awe and the lower level of love? Looking around, yeah. Yeah, you are, yeah. At things, yeah. You're looking at the world, yeah, and the world's greatness, yeah. Yeah, so your your feelings about Hashem are coming through your experience of, of the world. Now, really, we know that our experience of the world is really limited. that there's infinite reality beyond our experience of the world. But we're starting here on the lower level. The lower level is, hey, I do have an experience of the world. I do have feelings about that experience. So I'm going to use them to generate feelings of awe of Hashem and love of Hashem. When I think about how vast the world is, how massive it is, how unfathomably great the world is that will instill me with a sense of awe awe of the vastness of creation and then by extension awe of Hashem if I think about how full of goodies this world is and all the things in this world that I care about and value and then I realize he is the source of all that and that will instill within me a feeling of love of Hashem. The lower levels, both of awe and of love, have in common that you have to have an experience of the world. And we're building upon that experience in order to cultivate some feelings about Hashem. Finishes off chapter 43 by reminding us that the awe comes first. And he says that Viohafta, right? Viohafta you should love the Lord your God. The word Viohafta is, you know, the matria of Viahafta? Love is six, and Aleph is one, and Hay is five. And Vov, I mean, and, and Vase is two, and Hay is, and and, and Tough is four hundred. We all have 419. to. Four hundred nineteen. Four hundred. No, we should get. We got We should get four fourteen. Four fourteen. My accountant says four fourteen. It is. 414. Yeah, you got four fourteen. Yeah, four fourteen. Okay. And then we have the word Oyer, which is light. Aleph, Vav, Reish. So Aleph is one, and Vav is six, and Reish is 200. So that's 217. Actually, I know Oyer off the top of my head is 217 because Oyer is the gematria of Roz, which means mystery. One who knows the mysteries has light. But that's not your main here. Or, light, is... Well, how much? Now I'm getting... 27. What? It's way beyond. 207, thank you. And via hafta is? 414. Okay, so this is a simple one. Divide 414 by 207. Two, yeah, it's just two. It's a simple one. Yeah. Via hafta is two times Eur. It's very simple. Let me say it straightforward instead of confusing you all. sounds like I'm trying to you out of $20 right now. <laughs> the numerical value of Yohafta is twice the numerical value of oil, light. What does that tell you? That there are two lights the light of all and the light of love. And Yohafta, love, is the second of the two. First, have the all, the boundaries, the containment. Then the love. What you're going to do for your beloved? Okay. Let's try to quickly run through chapter 44. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I asked you this question regarding another chapter. Okay. So it's, it's still it's still percolating. Um, percolating. In my, yeah. In my head. Okay. Um, where is the love, the feeling of love for Hashem that comes from awareness that He wants a relationship with us? We'll get to that. Okay. What did I say last time, by the way? You said, no such thing as relationship. It's all action, it's all mitzvahs. Just oh, mitzvahs. we're probably in chapters 35, 36, and 37. <laughs> and in that context, there's no relationship, just doing. Yeah. Everything depends on context. All right. So if you asked me while we were in 35, 36, and 37, Constance. it's nothing but action. There's only action. All context. Okay. At any rate. Your question about the love of Hashem based on a relationship with Him yes. is coming up. Good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Chapter 44. Let's try to do it quickly. The truth is that there are many, many different types and levels of love. There's that verse in Esha's chayel, Noide her husband is known at the gates. So, sh'arim, the gates, could also be Shi'urim, the amounts. According to the amount of knowledge that you have, of Das, focus and awareness, that's how much you will know your husband, meaning Hashem. So there are all types of degrees of these emotions, all depending on the degree of your focus on these meditations. We're going to discuss now, though, two specific types of love. Two more kinds of love. This is chapter 44. And these loves are interesting because both of them are sort of a combination of Avaraba and Avas'elam, the two types of love we learned about in chapter 43. They're like Avaraba in the sense that you don't get it, it's given. And they're like Avas'elam in the sense that they're intellectually generated. Well, that sounds like a paradox. How could it be that it's given to you but you have to create it. So they're hybrid. They are hybrid. These two loves are hybrid. You don't have to go out and get them in the sense of, remember in chapters 18 through 25 when we spoke about the ava the latent love that's hardwired in the soul? It's akin to that. It's actually just more specific ways of describing that love. You already have it. Now what you have to do, though, is think about it in order to intensify it. So you have it already, it was already given to you, but you're going to meditate in order to intensify it. That's what I mean by they are hybrid loves, they're a combination of the two different types of love from chapter forty-three. Okay, so the first of these two hybrid loves is called Nafshi Avisicha Belila. That's a long name, but it's a it's a verse from Tehillim, from Psalms. My soul, I desire you at night. Nafshi, my soul, that which enlivens me, really is talking about Hashem. Hashem enlivens me. Now. There's something very basic and fundamental about the desire to be alive. Perhaps it's so basic that we take it for granted, but if, God forbid, one's life is ever jeopardized or threatened, we can feel how intense that drive is and how powerful the desire to be alive really is that's not something that you have to think about that's something that is innate we want to be alive if somebody will take that basic innate drive to be alive, and that basic innate appreciation and enjoyment of life. And then meditate, here comes the intellectual part of it, meditate on the fact that that really means you are appreciating and enjoying Hashem's presence in your life. Then you will, by, again, the transitive property we spoke about, You will take the feelings that you already have for your own life and apply them to Hashem. By the way, I think this whole discussion is one that is complicated in our day and age. I don't think that in the times of the Alter Rebbe, wherever Tanya was taught, I don't think that any teacher had anyone sitting there and thinking, well, I know people who hate life. I think that's a relatively new phenomenon. I, I think, <coughs> look, everything in Tanya requires explanation, which is why the said to study it with a teacher. I'm just saying, this is probably one of those things that didn't need to be explained before. Because... Everyone understood intuitively that you want to be alive. Being dead is not a good thing. Nobody wants to be dead. Maybe they understood that more intuitively because they actually had things that threatened their lives. (laughs) So, yeah, remember that time I almost got killed? Last Tuesday? Yeah, I was pretty relieved when I didn't get killed. So they related to that feeling. I'm only addressing this because I, I just know that in our day and age it comes up. People challenge the whole premise. No. What if you don't want to live? What if you, you you don't enjoy your life? So, without getting derailed in the whole long conversation, uh, I don't think anybody has any problem with being alive or dislikes being alive. I think that there are experiences that are painful that don't allow us to enjoy life, but life itself obviously everyone cherishes and values inherently so being alive and if I could just enjoy my life obviously I would obviously I would like to do that so again I don't want to get derailed into a whole long conversation but suffice to say that if you are wondering and thinking to yourself well hold on what about people who find find life painful they don't find life painful they find their pain painful And it detracts from the ability to enjoy life. But the basic enjoyment and desire of life is is a universal thing that's hardwired into all of us. So when you realize that that which you are desiring is really Hashem, that He is the life force within you, then you move that love over to Him. You associate it with Him. Okay, fine. Yeah. Nafshi v'sicho Balaila. My soul, I desire you in the evening. It means at night when I'm weary, when I'm tired, and I lay down to rest in order to restore my my strength. I, I'm yearning for my life force to come back to me. Okay. There's a second type of a love which is also a hybrid love. And that is called like a son who strives. Like a son who strives. It's not Hebrew, it's Aramaic. It's from the Zohar. like a son who strives. And I won't give you the rest of the Aramaic phrase because then you'll... Uh, I want to know that as well. (laughs) A son strives to please his mother and father out of filial piety. That is a basic, fundamental, universal feeling that is hardwired into our nature. Again, it's similar to Na'ashiv v'sicha, the first hybrid love where the, the, the basic desire is already there. So, too, the desire of a child to please his or her parents. And again, I'm not going to get derailed in the whole discussion about people today who say, well, I hate my parents. Okay? Let's say you do. Anybody who truly feels that way about their parents is sad about that. Nobody says, I hate my parents and it doesn't bother me. Maybe somebody's parents made it very hard to want to please them. But that itself is the cause for grieving and loss, that I don't even feel like pleasing my parents. Why? Why is that something one grieves? Because it's a basic human desire to want to please your parents. Now, if you'll meditate on the fact that who is your real parent? Hashem. You will take, you will harness that feeling that's already there and you'll apply it to him. So what, what do these two laws of chapter 44 have in common? What they have in common is they're both hybrid. They have a little bit of innate quality to them you don't have to go out and get it, but they also have a little bit of intellectual quality to them. You have to in- intensify them through meditation. That's what they have in common. How are they different? They're different like this. Means, I love Hashem as much as life itself. Means, I love Hashem even more than life itself like this child who so much wants to please the parent, that the child will sacrifice his or her own life in order to do so. (coughs) Let's wrap it up here. He says, that's a lofty motivation. In fact, do you remember in chapter 10 when we're talking about tzaddikim, and we mentioned Kibrodi Yishtadl there in context of the higher level Tzadik. Well, if you do remember it, you might come to me and say, hold on a second. Are we talking about tzaddikim or Beninim? This is too lofty of a love. And the Altarebbe says here in chapter 44, it is a very lofty level to love Hashem more than your own life. Nevertheless, because it's based on something that's hardwired within you, on some level, it's true already so don't discount yourself don't disqualify yourself on some level this feeling is real already last thing he says in chapter forty four is that you should remember that these two hybrid loves compared to the two loves from or, more specific, the the second love in chapter 43 are generally speaking inferior. And I'll tell you why. Because these two hybrid loves from chapter 44, um, you can get by with minimal meditation because of the fact that they're based on emotions you already have the love in chapter 43, the second type of love in chapter 43, which we call avas elam, that is entirely based on meditation. And therefore, if you have it, if you've done the meditation, then it's going to be more intense than these two loves. Let me let me sum it up very, very, very simply, okay? Um, we studied two chapters today, chapter 43 and chapter 44. We spoke about first two, two levels of all the higher level and the lower level. Actually, first we spoke about the lower level, then we spoke about the higher level. We spoke about two levels of love, the higher level and the lower level. And then here in chapter 44, we spoke about two kinds of love that are a combination or a hybrid of the two kinds of love from chapter 43. The bottom line is, which kind of love does the al recommend to us to focus on? This is what I just want to make sure it's clear, and then we're, then we're all done. Which of all the four kinds of love that we've spoken about, which one should we focus on? Which is the most important to focus on? The second kind from chapter 43, the Abbas Eulam the one that is purely a result of meditation. That's the primary one, that's the most important one, that's the one you're gonna get the most mileage out of, and the one that is most likely to be most productive for you, okay? All right, thank you.